Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of Something in the Crumb. This is Unsung Kim and Kim Wen. And today we are going to introduce you to the suite of the next few episodes. I would say like the next like four, if not six um, episodes and the theme around them um, and explain our rationale. But also we will be discussing for the next two episodes in particular, um, the series tomorrow with you. So, yeah. Yes. Um, I think in our last episode, we had mentioned that um, we were considering uh, talking about the good fight, but we actually quickly decided against that because we really have no interest in talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> and We don't even uh, like the name. I try to just say, no. like, what does Angela Davis call him? Like, occupier of the White House or something? Yes, yes. We really just wanted to avoid that conversation. So um, instead, we have been watching a few series um, and noticed that it kind of tied in really well, um, also as a follow-up to um, our Roswell episode as well. Um, And so uh, in addition to Tomorrow With You, um, which is from 2017, um, I think we're also going to talk about the Legend of the Blue Sea, um, which I think is 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which we thought maybe fit in uh, as well with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, <laughs> which uh, we discussed in the Roswell episode briefly. Um, and I think linking all of these episodes, um, are all these shows, sorry, um, is thinking about time, time travel, um, about legends, uh, future and past selves. Um, there's a lot about reincarnation in there. Um, and also about communication that occurs, um, internally and externally through a multiplicity of timelines. Um, and so that's sort of, uh, how we kind of came to this next sort of collection, um, of episodes. So this particular um, series that we're going to talk about for the next two podcast episodes tomorrow with you um, is the premise is essentially um, about a time traveling realtor, <laughs> CEO, uh, who can travel into the future via the subway. Um, he uh, essentially survived um, a significant subway accident um, and in which his parents died. Um, and he, you know, kind of, uh, it's fortuitous, but it's also sort of a strange encounter with this childhood or child actress, former child actress. Um, and they effectively um, get off at the train, uh, train stop before the train continues on and explodes in which his parents pass away. And ever since then, he is able to uh, travel through time between those two stations. Um, And so I think that one of the really uh, interesting things about the show um, is sort of not only that he is a character that obviously has dealt with his own kind of emotional trauma and has sort of lived his life in a way uh in which um there is a kind of uh 
individual sort of loneliness of how he, he lives when we first encounter him. Um, but I think as we see unfold throughout the series, it's so much about him going into the future to fix mistakes in the present. Um, and we thought this paired really well with Legend of the Blue Sea, uh, which involves the main character who really looks to the past uh, to change the future. Um, and so there's a lot of this about, you know, like what we, how we live our lives, how we can also change our lives, how do we address mistakes in our lives, and, um, and whether or not something like fate is actually a foregone conclusion um, can it actually be something that serves rather as like a warning or a lesson? And that tragedy um, is also something that is as much warning as it can be prediction. Um, and we felt like these kind of all were sort of tied into each of these shows that we're going to talk about. Yeah, and I think that um, we mentioned this in the last two episodes that we're sort of over... We, we've been in like shitty moods. We're over planet Earth. There's a pandemic. Um, you know, that's that's like the current moment that we're living in. And beyond that, I think that um, we're living in a moment in time where many of us um, who've been desiring kind of rupture and fundamental transformation, a fundamental, um, you know, anti-colonial, decolonial, anti-capitalist um, overhaul of, of systems, systems of anti-blackness and, and colonization and so forth. Um, so I think like it, we thought that this was a really, uh, we thought one, we should kind of mention that we still hate everything about planet Earth and that is probably going to be our mood for the next few episodes. Planet maybe... Earth is still not a co-op. Yeah. <laughs> but um, everything that Kim is sort of saying about the sort of, you know, what does it mean that we have this show in 2017 that's about a kind of time traveler um, looking to the future in order to rectify the present. And then like just a year later, um, another show about reincarnation, which is around the same premise, um, to kind of quickly bring up like the Marxist literary um, theorist Raymond Williams, who we've mentioned before. Um, I mean, you're really only here because you're interested in our Marxist <laughs> crumbs that we throw at you, right? Like the the, <laughs> the cultural studies like crumbs that we just like sprinkle on on everything. But, you know, like Raymond Williams has, um, like he talked about like the structure of feeling, right? Like when you, especially with cinema, that they're the, the subtext of that kind of runs through the thing that's not articulated, but that is encompassed in feeling that like we don't have language for yet, but like is sort of like the undercurrent of so much um, continuity of like what people are talking about and he was sort of thinking about this as like uh, as being articulated through like class um, injustice in particular in the ways that people were thinking about like the sort of disparity between like wealth but I think that there's a way in which we can talk about the structure of feeling and this desire for societal transformation or this sort of desire to kind of rupture this present moment and 
you know, how might that be possible? Is it possible through um, a kind of, you know, parallel continuum between like really thinking about the future in order to think about the present or really thinking about the past in order to think about the present, but this sort of ongoing desire to rupture the present and, and feeling really stuck that you can't do it in the present, right? So like, like so much of, so much of the, the suite of the shows that we're going to talk about is the fact that like, you know, you have a supernatural element, but the supernatural element really serves as an indicator to talk about why people feel so stuck and how much they want transformation, uh, how much they need it and how, how, like, how sincere it is really. And like, I think our feelings for transformation is quite sincere, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing to point out about the structure of feeling is that its presence is, I think it's like actually only perceptible after it's been partially lost yeah. or that right like and i think that this is something that um you really can see in i think both of these shows um that we're going to talk about too where it's partially that something has been lost or something is passed or that there's there is some sort of distance to something in which then you actually recognize that this is a thing you know rather than in that particular moment and so that's why um like you know for the time traveler it's like it's not until he leaves the present, you know, that he's actually able to recognize that there's something within the present that he has to change. Mm -hmm. um, and often these kinds of slippages between moving through these time periods is what creates the transformation or creates a kind of recognition yeah. for these characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, that's a really good segue into talking about how um, because the main character, so we should like set up the show a little bit. Um, but like, we will also just kind of say flat out that while watching this show, we were both like, we thought that romance, the guy in romance was our fantasy <laughs> person, but we revised that statement and we'll probably revise it again and say like the main dude character in tomorrow is our fantasy person because Kim do you want to do you want to let them know why it, like he's a man who goes into the future to learn from his mistakes <laughs> like this is like brilliant you know like in the fact well actually first i think that you had stated very clearly that it's just very impressive that he acknowledges he made mistakes. I mean, that might be the premise of the fact that this is our fantasy. Like you're just, you're, you're interacting with someone who like doesn't believe that they're formidable. Like they're, they're not just pure ego, ego. And they're not pure ego because they literally can go into the future and see that they've died. So if they like yes. remain yes. pure ego, then they die. So like they have to figure out some way to like not die, which means, you know, like. We should really point out that this show is perhaps a combination of the time traveler's wife meets final destination. So just to give you a sense of the importance of death actually um, in this series. But I think, you know, just thinking back about some of the previous male characters um, that we've encountered, um, there is a lot of ego. A lot of them are verging on a type of caricature. Um, they are, you know, we've had strong and silent types. We've, 
Um, but we've had a lot that like really lacked a kind of complexity. Um, and why I think the, the dude from romance was our initial gold standard was because of emotional availability. Um, but I think that, you know, this fantasy dude takes it one step further because it's not merely just about being available emotionally. It's actually, you know, there's, it's actually more than just about um, being someone that communicates emotions out. It's actually someone that also looks within mm-hmm. and there is a kind of self-criticality about that, which I think he recognizes, the time traveler recognizes that um, there isn't just like a singular mistake that he's made too. It's not as if like, you know, he did this one thing wrong, um, but he recognizes that there's perhaps his entire life he's been living wrong, you know, and that that he needs to kind of reform like his sort of um, approach to all of his relationships um, and also to valuing himself and his life and as someone that exists um, in a world of relationships rather than one um, that's just him by himself. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty fascinating and we will do like a character show over Cap, but like this is the first time we've encountered someone who isn't just emotionally available, um, but like, part of the part of part of the journey of even going into the future i mean he does seem to like he becomes rich like there's just some of like the the things that i think that time travel sort of sets up within capitalist narratives like he he accomplishes all of that but it's like the thing that he works most towards is trying to rectify his mistakes and then it's a continuous acknowledgement of the mis- mistakes that he's made, which made like, which made us think of how you know, like Mia Mingus, who works on transformative justice and um, works like in disability activism, talks about how like self care is really self accountability, and she has this like really great um, talk where she talks about how like you know. If you like promise someone that you're going to do the dishes and then you forget that you even you forget to do them, but then you forget that you forgot the promise. Like, what does that mean? And how could you actually ask for something bigger if you yourself are forgetting the very promises that you make to the closest people in your life on a daily basis? This character uh, goes to the future and is always trying to remember like is basically haunted by the fact that like, Mm -hmm. you know, he keeps a journal. He like has like literally like, this is the only thing he really works at. I mean, it almost becomes a joke that his job is irrelevant. He doesn't really do anything else. All All he does is try to catalog the things that he said he would do that went right. And the things that he said he would do that did not work out. And like kind of all of the revision processes in between, and it is exhausting, but I do think like this is how much work goes into being accountable to yourself, to like what you believe and how much work is, re- is required of change. Changing the future, this is of, of your own kind of trajectory requires this much labor. Yeah, I, I think that he doesn't, um, yeah, we don't see him really working, which is kind of amazing. Uh, it's, it's purely in a functional kind of way where he's like, whatever this company this company's like really successful i make a ton of money um but he kind of just like 
I think that he... I think that it, like, starts out in a very um, immature kind of way of, like, what the future is for him, you know, where it's just, like, he goes and he, like... First, I think when he... You know, you kind of have, like, a bit of a flashback and you see initially that he goes into the future and he's kind of like, whoa, this is so cool. I can, like, buy cool clothes or I can see that this stuff is being released early and he's still interested in all those things. Um, But then I think he starts to understand, like what are certain benefits? And then initially it comes into these more like, um, capital benefits, right. Where he can like develop his business, but that's also rooted in, um, a class understanding again of like his position in life being someone that, you know, it comes up where obviously he's an orphan and he says that he was like, yeah, do you think that I could have been this successful if I didn't go into the future? Like there was no way that, like his, you know, I think he was working class. His parents mostly um, kind of worked for nonprofits or they volunteered. Uh, and he was like, there was no way I was going to be this person. I was not going to be a CEO if I did things the way that things were supposed to go. Um, and and then once he kind of accomplishes those things, it's he, there is a kind of boredom about his life in a way too, I think. And then I think he starts to, this is like when we kind of enter into the narrative is like, he's kind of, he's accomplished these things. So now it's like, he should be working on himself as a person, as like his emotional sort of existence, because he doesn't like, he has one friend um, that knows the truth about his abilities. Um, But even like he has another close friend that doesn't know anything about it, but no one else at this work knows like, and, um, and it is kind of like a loneliness, you know, I think that he, he starts to see, and then I think that that's why like going to the future, he starts to like piece together. And it, it is an interesting idea about like a kind of impatience towards, um, developing a kind of emotional infrastructure for yourself too, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, you yeah. haven't been spending your entire life developing it in a way, but then you kind of like rapidly go into the future yeah. and construct, um, this identity for yourself. However, I would make the argument that because he lost his parents and it clearly was a very, um, traumatic event for him, uh, the seeds for that probably were planted a long time ago, but yeah. I don't feel like we, um, get the feeling that he dealt with any of those emotions until he started going to the future and, you know, living right. this way. Um, so then to back up a little bit, um, so there's this main character who's our fantasy man, current current fantasy man, um, who's a time traveler, lost his parents, is the CEO of a real estate company. It says a lot about gentrification, actually, because it's true, he's working yes. class, but he's like, literally going into the future to figure out what neighborhoods have been gentrified so that you yes. could gentrify them first. Yes. Yes. And so there's a lot of like scenes where, you know, the director is like, I think we should develop here and do this and do this. And then he'll just be playing video games and be like, mm, actually, no, we're going to need to build over here because he already went into the future and that's where all the condos are going to be. Yeah. Playing. Which is maybe like a statement, a testament to insider knowledge, right? So it's mm-hmm. if you have insider knowledge, then like maybe work is not painful for you, or maybe it's like simplified. It surely is for him, right? Like <laughs> yes. it's like he's like, well, I went to the future, and it seems like these are the places with the condos, and he's right. Like 
there's a later on in the in the series there's there's the introduction of a serial killer slash corporate <laughs> there's in, always a serial always killer. a serial killer okay it's not the serial killer days but there's just a random serial killer that pops up and you're like what um yeah. but um he's embezzled like a bunch of money and our main fantasy guy seems basically like underwhelmed he's like well it's like it is what it is you know (laughs) he's like he's like yeah that's a lot of money but like okay you know but part of what he learns in the future is that he dies and he dies um next to or very near this woman so then it becomes part of a mission in the present to sort of figure out why this happens and how he can prevent this. Well, and he has uh, this older mentor, time traveler friend. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Um, who it turns out was also in this train accident um, and developed his time traveling abilities, I guess. Um the, the, the details. The, the look. If you're trying to make the story make sense, no, no can do. Okay, like yeah, will not happen. Don't. It will not happen. Um, I, yeah, I was getting like vertigo at a certain point because there were like so many versions of him like circulating around and like all these overlapping tiles. It's like a lot, you know. And and I just like could, you know, you try to think about the science of it and it's like it was it was too much um and that's something that i feel like they don't entirely um they kind of address but they don't you know where it's like every time he goes from the future because every time travel tv show movie whatever that we've seen uh we're basically taught that once you do that things change right like it changes the present you go back in the past it changes the future like you've disrupted some sort of system Um, But there's a lot of times where he, like, goes into the future and uh, comes back and then goes back again. And it seems like it's still on a certain kind of trajectory or course. Yeah. It doesn't ever seem to break off, right? So, like, there is no splinter parallel universe. It's just But then it does, too, I guess, because he gets together. Um, yeah, because he's making an active choice too. So after he he can't go into the future beyond a certain date, and then he doesn't really understand why. And then he goes to that date and realizes it's because he dies on that day, and he dies. Uh, yes, along at the, basically the same time as this woman. And he's like, "What's the deal with me and this woman?" And we die at the exact same time. Um, and then. He's kind of hopping around, you know, he's hopping around back and forth. It's like he jumps um, slightly into the future, but not as far as when the, uh, he dies. And it turns out they got married. And he's like, what? How did we get married? It's only been like three months since I met this woman. And there's a lot of like moving around where he's trying to piece together what has happened. But he starts to understand that his his fate and his life, the only way to effectively prevent his death you know, potentially has to do with this woman who he barely knows. And so that kind of instigates this like kind of pursuit of this woman, um, also being supported by his time traveler mentor, right? who plants a very Christian idea in his head where it's like, mm, I 
I've heard that the only way to cheat death is if you create life. So maybe you should like get together with this woman and get married, have a baby, and you guys will all live. So, which like they do, and so like by episode four, they're boinking, and you're like, wait, what? Like that's super fast for K drama. Like you're like episode four is a trip, which is what we're watching right now. And I texted you about this. I was like. This show is bananas. I guess because we're time traveling, we're just like getting to it right away. In one episode alone, uh, he witnesses his own death. <laughs> witnesses his own death. Realizes he's got to change it. Pursues this woman. She's like, I don't even know you. He proposes to her. She's like, your proposal is basically harassment because we don't know each other. And yet somehow it works. They He meets her mother. They go on their first, no, I think they kiss for the first time. They go on their first date. They also hump for the first time. They get married. (laughs) This is within one hour. Yeah. It's a lot. And then, and then like, and then their marriage becomes difficult, which we'll talk about. But like when Kim was like first starting to watch the series, she would like text me. She's like, I don't know about this series. It could be just like a long infomercial for ramen because like <laughs> our main character was basically like traveling into the future and like would bring back like special advanced ramen and like everyone was like whoa what ramen is this like freaking out like oh so good this instant these instant noodles are delicious and yeah, like real product placement yeah. and then like cleaning products like what are they called Roomba the Roomba the Roomba like in the future there are Roombas (laughs) that are cuter than the Roombas of the present or something like and so Kim was like again so limited our imagination yeah it's like the future just has better commodities for you to buy okay (laughs) and the future is like way more gentrified and if you could like you really could see the future then like you could win the lottery and like gentrified neighborhoods is like essentially part of what this is like I think that the first, like, four episodes in particular sort of maybe push that. And then it kind of, that narrative fades because, you know, it's not like he becomes, like, a anarchist communist or anything. Or he doesn't, like, turn his building into a co-op. Still not a co-op. Still not a co-op. But he seems, but, like, the show becomes less interested in some of the ramen and the, the, the gentrification. And then it becomes like maybe 12 episodes about the fact that he his fate is tied to this woman and um part of it is like he just can't seem to have a successful relationship with this woman like like baby questions aside like he just is like unable to really communicate to have like to understand her and to understand himself and like part of the future traveling is just him learning again and again that like the thing that he thought he knew or the thing that he thought he understood about not just like this person but about himself and then like how to ha- how to be in relations with people was actually not that just needs to be revised um well i think that it's like it's weird because i think it starts out where he is like i'm happy i am like so thrilled you know to like be in this relationship and is and I think um the honeymoon phase for him is actually like I cheated death 
okay, like <laughs> this relationship is working. I'm really into this person. Um, but then he goes into the future and he encounters um, his future, you know, his future wife. He also encounters future friends. Um, and then start, it starts to like reveal itself that something goes sideways at a certain point and he can't, and they're being super cryptic about it. Um, which we later find out that, you know, when we'll talk a bit more about um, the lead female character, it's, she's basically gaslighting him in the future <laughs> because he doesn't, he can't piece it together. You know, he's just like, I don't understand. Like we're currently really happy. Yeah. This isn't that far into the future. And you're like, everyone is telling me that I should break up with you, that we're both miserable, that um, things would have been better if you didn't try to mess with destiny or like mess with your fate. And once, when you did that, you basically like set all these other things in motion and, you know, going back to this kind of final destination thing where it's like, you can't actually cheat this. Even if you think that, you know, if I just like marry this woman, it'll resolve it. It's like that unhappiness is your destiny. Your death is your destiny, you know? Yeah. And so maybe this is a good segue into talking about his gaslighting wife and like, <laughs> A quick overview about, like, we had to, like, do some serious soul-searching because I was, like, I really don't like the lead main character, like, female character in this drama. Like, there's so many reasons, but I was, like, I swear, if we don't like her and we didn't like the girl in romance, like, we definitely liked everyone else. Maybe not Liz, but, like, you know, she was, like, she was, like, lackluster, but fine. And I was, like, we need to clarify because, like, I'm not going to say that I live without internalized misogyny, but like I liked the girl in something in the rain mm -hmm. and I liked the girl in crash landing. I think that they're all a part of the neoliberal capitalist system, but that doesn't mean that like, I really, I have genuinely appreciated their character constructions. Um, but this one, this lead female character was so hard to watch. And then we were trying to speculate like why. So maybe should we run down as to like, who she is supposed to be, what role she plays. Yeah. I mean, I think first um, to point out, like, I do think that even though it seems as though we don't like a lot of these women, um, I think there is a particular pattern or kind of um, female character that we're really, we have such an aversion to. And I think all of them that we haven't liked, um, it's been the same kind of thing where we're just like the kind of really pitiful, yeah. incompetent um, kind of female character, you know? And, and that's why I think the character from something in the rain is actually really interesting because she is really like, Oh, like she really goes through it, you know? But I think that there, I think because she resolves it in a kind of way, we're able to kind of recover that character, I think. But like, you know, um, this particular character, she is just, she's just kind of a mess. And she's like the first couple episodes, she's so unlikable because she literally falls down all the time. Like just bumbling around, dropping things. Um, everyone makes fun of her, you know, because she, she was a, a, a famous child actress is not anymore. Um, and generally just doesn't seem very happy, you know, doesn't seem very happy. Doesn't seem very motivated in a way like wants to be an amateur photographer, but, 
we don't really get a feeling that she's very good at it <laughs> and so and she, kind of wants to exploit like personal connections I think yeah to to rather than it doesn't seem like she's someone that's like so committed to it is like working really hard at it or like I don't know it just there's just like it's too pitiful and I think that that's like just hard to take because it does veer into um a kind of caricature or a kind of like like who wrote this person you know and like and who is it for because I don't like I feel like neither of us really respond um to that kind of subject you know that like it's not one that like there's no feeling of I like I don't feel like oh great she's redeemed or oh great she like became a better person because like it just I think they just take it to such an extreme and they lack a kind of complexity beyond their kind of pitiful misery yeah that it's just very hard to like see anything else beyond that yeah, and, like, if we're – so then we did some, like, very light research, and I was like, you know, is this written by a woman who's fantasizing about such an emotionally intelligent man? And, like, for her, this fantasy then becomes, like, if your partner is so emotionally intelligent in, like, a heteronormative, straight relationship, like, one person is emotionally intelligent, the other person is, like, an emotional black hole – or something like you have nothing going for you um is that part of the fantasy because that's essentially that describes like the kind of gendered like labor dynamic of like you know one person performs overperforms reproductive labor and the other person reproductive emotional labor and and so forth and the other person just like consumes it so then like in this situation you have this guy who's like going into the future trying to like rectify things in the present doing this kind of like back and forth and then you have like this girl who's like I don't even want to I don't even remember who I was before I met you I don't even care and then she kind of becomes like fixated on controlling him which like we'll go we'll get into but like like her own she seems she basically gives up on her life and fixates on like his life it's not even like their life like she's so emotionally immature which then we were talking about how like there's like emotional intelligence and emotional availability versus just like she's just like a bomb of like emotional what did we say we said abundance but it's just like emotional sort of like mess she's just like I don't want to use the word messiness because I like I kind of like mess you know so it's not like like, it's a type of excess though yeah it's like a it's a type of excess that like um, that understands that there's like a cleanup crew. The other person is your cleanup crew. So like, yeah. Well, I think that this is, you know, when we talk to about like the gendered emotional labor where, you know, if written by a woman imagining a kind of fantasy in which it's like, yes, how about let's have a character in which the woman is not entirely doing all the emotional heavy lifting, but for us, I feel like that doesn't mean that that person should become an emotional burden. Yeah. Like just because, you know, like just because you are not the one that's doing all the labor does not mean that you suddenly become a burden. Like that's actually not um, an ideal kind of scenario. And I think that this is where this happens. Like he's doing all the work, you know, and we're impressed that he's doing all the work. He's working on himself. He's working on her. He's like, 
he's doing everything for the whole he's relationship. Picking up ramen. He's gentrifying neighborhoods. He's gentrifying <laughs> neighborhoods. Like he's working hard. <laughs> and I think she, you know, and what you're saying about giving up, you know, like I think she just basically is like, well, you're responsible then, because you're the one that goes into the future. So actually, it's on you. Yeah. To to manage like our relationship to manage our emotions to deal with me because I you know and it it is like a kind of it's kind of like a giving up but it's also like a cop-out right like it's like it's both of those things where it's like well I'm incapable of doing it so I guess it's on you yeah and there's like she's like so it's so many things it's her backstory is that she's a child star. She has an overbearing mother. Her father left when she was really young. So she's not really an orphan, but she's kind of an orphan because she thinks that she's more emotionally, she has more intelligence than her mother. But like, really, that's kind of questionable. They're both sort of like almost quasi caricatures of like, you know, overbearing, um, emotionally flat people. Um, she then basically never really gets a job. She picks up photography, kind of borderline. Maybe we think she was trying to be an influencer. So that's fascinating (laughs) that like she failed. She like, she's like unsuccessful at like the endeavors of trying to be a photographer or an influencer, but she only really takes pictures with her husband, you know, who's like this really wealthy guy to sort of gain traction. So that's like, and she's kind of like not really ashamed of this, which on one level it's like, yeah, I guess so much of our workplace, whatever is your connections, but there's just, there was something like very, um, just something very like childish about all of these, like, you know, like her work, it's just like, it wasn't really, you know, and your our jobs are not our dreams but it's like she was just sort of like there was nothing in her life really she but it was but there was a lot of like um micromanagement and control exerted over the few things that she took up um be it like this strange photography project or her relationship with her husband which like the her subplot becomes that like when she finds out finally that her husband is a time traveler, she then like essentially creates this drama that like she tries to go and like see him. She's like, well, if you're a time traveler, oh, they met on the subway accident. So like they're technically like survivors of the subway accident. And her rationale is like, if you think you can time travel because of the subway accident, well, I'm a survivor too. So I should be able to do this. So she then tries to, like, ride the subway the way that, like, her husband does. And then she sees him and he's like, oh, like, I am now going to be on my time travel thing because this is the, you know. And then she freaks out and she's like, don't go. And then he disappears in front of her. And then she just, like, basically is like, you left me. It was so hard to watch you disappear and do this thing. Do you know how hard it was? Can you never time travel again? And then we have like a series of episodes where she's just like crying and being like, you don't know how hard it is to like watch you. Like, and it's just like, what kind of manufactured drama is this? Like, and then I'm like, who am I saying shit like this? This is like the shit that like 
you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk this way about you. Like, I want you to have, I think that like, you should have legitimate, you should, there are so many things actually, probably that we, that could have been um, explored in your relationship. This has to be like, the most ridiculous element and because she then like narrates to her friend like if spider-man had a girlfriend who knew that he was spider-man and she asked him never to use her like his powers or like they would break up what do you think spider-man would do and her friend is like probably break up with this girl and then she's like oh was i being unreasonable but then she's like no i just don't want him to try and travel she doesn't ever explain why other than like, it was hard to watch you disappear. And so Kim and I were like, it's just like this control issue that's like very, very childish. It's not rooted in anything. Well, and it's like an inferiority thing, yes. right? Like it's a kind of inferiority that she's like, I don't understand. Like we were both on this accident or in this accident together, but you somehow got to have this time travel ability and I didn't get that. And I think that it is like about, it's about a control to be like, yeah, you like, you're not allowed to go into the future, but also like a really, um, like she won't admit it, but a kind of jealousy that he gets to go to the future and she can't. And it's an experience that she can't have, or she doesn't have access to. Um, and that, that somehow is something that she's like really more concerned about. Um, because I think that like, she is so, um, she just like lacks so much in a way that I think that she's kind of constantly trying to grasp onto something that also like gives her purpose or gives her, um, you know, which is like why the influencer thing is like a thing, you know, I think why like later on she is kind of like a secret, she ends up being like a secret internet, like fortune teller sort of. Right. Because of like the information, again, information that he has revealed to her accidentally or intentionally. And then she blabs it on the Internet in this way. And someone is like, who is this person that was like predicted all this stuff that was going to happen? Like, including like a major accident, including that this person would become president or like all this stuff. And I think she's like into it, you know, like a kind of like celebrity and uniqueness and I mean maybe this goes into now what we want to talk about which is unexceptional people I think she's actually just like a very unexceptional person um and it's not that there's anything like necessarily wrong about being unexceptional a lot of people are unexceptional um but I think that she's such a great example of the fact that she's unexceptional and she feels like that's unacceptable that she is someone that is unexceptional. It's like a personality dysmorphia thing. Um, and that, you know, like we as viewers and we encounter these kinds of characters in our real lives as well all the time. Yeah. But, you know, it's like being unexceptional actually isn't something that warrants like real pity or, yes. you know, or it doesn't even um, equate to like, suffering which I think that that is sort of framed as such like as if because she has led such an unexceptional life maybe after her child stardom as if we're supposed to interpret that as like her having suffered this whole time and I'm like I think you're just not exceptional there's nothing like you're just like norm styles like go to Starbucks like I don't know why we're just supposed to like feel so bad for you but 
I think that what you're also picking up on is kind of paralleling the best friend from my love from a different star is that yes. it's not that she's just unexceptional. It's that she like if we're using the time travel example, she doesn't want to time travel. She just doesn't want him to time travel. Right. So yeah. it's not that she's unexceptional. When she understands that someone is exceptional, she just wants that person's exception to be taken away. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's a very different kind of twisted logic where it's like yeah. and he actually tells her, he's like, I'm not able to be normal. I don't know how to do this. Like also like I do think that part of and like there is maybe to, something to be said, like, is it is it part of a kind of gendered critique that we could make that he has the ability to charm travel and she does not? Like, what does that say about like power differentials? But then like it's it then becomes like so much about the fact that like you know he's actually like kind of torn about whether or not like this time travel thing is like something he really wants to do that he's like he feels really conflicted about it but he also feels like a lot of complex emotions about it and her rationale is like i just think that you shouldn't do it because it's like a difference between you and me which is a completely different way to, to talk about what this is, which is to say that like, she's basically saying like, you are full of this potential and I am not. And so mm -hmm. the only way I think that it's fair is if you, if I just take away that potential from you, which is how I'm thinking of power and exceptionalism, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I only become exceptional or we only become unexceptional together. It's like, but I become exceptional by taking this thing away from you, which gives me a sense of power and control. Or, like, I derive pleasure from the fact that we're both, what do you call them, normal burgers, you know? Like, <laughs> but, like, let's be real. They're just never even going to be normal burgers. Like, they're fucking rich. He's a gentrifier. They're comfortable. So, like, you know, because I think that, like, my, everyone who's listening to this, is our friend, comrade, you know, like, um, and family member. So, like, I don't think that you will hear this in bad faith, but I think, like, there is something to be said about the fact that, like, I do think that so much of the narratives currently in circulation is about, like, how special are you? You are special. Mm -hmm. You're a special fucking snowflake. Like, you're so marvelous and unique and, like, no one understands all the intricacies. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's all true, right? But then it's also, like, there's a kind of uniformity about middle to upper class mm -hmm. life. Like, you lead that life, you embrace heteronormativity, you embrace capitalism. Like, maybe by design, you become politically unexceptional. You become, like, unexceptional by political design. And mm -hmm. if you want some kind of rupture from that, then you would literally have to do something like have supernatural powers to go <laughs> into the future to, like, learn about accountability. Like, that is part of it, you know? Yeah. Oh my god, that's so true. Be which I think relates to uh, the sort of um, boredom, in a way, that also exists from that kind of upper class existence. That it's like, and the how like that kind of ambition is also such a trip, you know? Where it's like, just like even laying it out, you're like, 
he's fine. He's just like a gentrifier. He has a bunch of money. He has all these nice clothes. His life is fine. But like, I think that speaks to the fact that he also like his desire to kind of continue to develop and her desire to like reverse or like stay completely in like the single place, you know, and that it, and it isn't enough, you know, it isn't enough that, um, to be in proximity to potential. It isn't enough to support potential. It isn't enough to like, um, to grow herself and like also desire potential, but it's like, you have to then like ensure that that person has nothing or ensure that that person, um, not only like downplays or like is, has their potential completely eliminated. It's like, there's something so punitive about that, you know, that is so dark, right. Where it's like, you can't even like, you can't even just let them be as they are, which is like, that is like, what kind of partnership is this? I mean, I think like there's, Oh, the the other thing I was going to say is like, I do think unexceptional artists definitely feel like this is a narrative of trauma. Like they're like, I want to be an artist. And everyone keeps telling me I'm unexceptional, which is like my pain. And I think that there's a way that like, we saw her as a very clearly like easily racialized character of like, you know, she's clearly not white, but I also think like white feminism and white supremacy are not about white people. Like it's about mm-hmm. a kind of, um, she's waiting for Godot. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Like it's, it's definitely about a kind of, um, misreading the dynamics of power and injustice and power and suffering in particular. And that is so much of the way that like fucked up artists read the position of like their unexceptional unexceptionalism in contrast to like an artist of color or like a working class person or like a black artist and 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 essentially like um fetishizing that Mm -hmm. position but then also like stripping it at the same time and that is kind of the way that she operates she's like basically saying like i don't want to give up anything This isn't about like distributed risk. This isn't about like me stepping down, but it's about the fact that I'll just take things away from you, but also envy you simultaneously. Well, and I think that like she, you know, it's, it's like operating as if, uh, you know, like who has the deficit, right? It's like, you know, and I think that that is like, it's like, it's not enough. Like she, like, she's like, well, like I already have this and you having this actually take something away from me where it's like, who said you had it? Like, that's crazy that you already, like you felt that you possessed it and that now something is being taken away from you. Um, I think one of the, I think one of the more interesting things, which would have been a more probably um, emotionally complex way to sort of navigate this uh, relationship was when, you know, he is like, I need to figure out like what is going on. Like I see you in the future and you're unhappy and I need to fix it. And she's like, and, and then like the more he's going to the future to try and figure things out, the present is like starting to fall apart. Right. Because he's becoming more detached and he's kind of living between two places in this way. And he doesn't really know, like it it starts to all blur together. Like he kind of, it starts to lose sight of like who he is and, because he doesn't know when he is. And then she says, you know, like, did it ever occur to you that we ended up that way because you were doing this and that 
the present, you know, like the present went sour because you couldn't decide on being into the future or being in the past. And I actually think that is like an interesting thing to present as like, um, which she uses actually more in a manipulative kind of way. But if it was outside of that context, you know, just about how much investment we put um, into something like a future kind of prediction, if you will, and a thing that we are working towards and whether that has like the kinds of repercussions that are created, you know, and the kinds, I think that we talk a lot about like also a type of sacrifice that people do or, you know, the things that we do in the present that are in service of something for the future that may or may not come true. And what happens if we flip that and we like understand, we know what the future is and we have to like work backwards somehow. And I think maybe, like, while you were talking about all of this, it's, like, it's not even, like, it's not, I mean, she's done exceptional, and, like, this is, like, really introduced and presented as her, like, ongoing point of suffering. But beyond that, like, the real suffering that I see, and this is actually a genuine point of suffering, is that she's, like, so disconnected from her own desire. Mm. And the only thing that she seems to locate as desire is, like, control over another person. Which is like not desire. It's a it's a it's a sort of like weird type of violence that you're exerting, right? Like you know. So it's like what the questions of like what is her life? What does she desire? Like what does she want? Like she doesn't seem. She's like completely. It's not even like she's uninterested. It's just sort of like she's sort of convinced herself that those are not the questions of priority, which to me just seems like such a misogynistic way to like write a female character because mm-hmm. I think that like so much of something in the rain was like grappling with this question of like this like female character being like what is it that I want you know what is it that I desire you could actually say like that is a very like neoliberal capitalist kind of feminist like move to make but you could also like say like navigating and questioning desire is also like so part of um it's like something that's like always displaced you know and I think that it's a very difficult question for a lot of people to answer especially like women to answer because so much of like socialization as a woman is about like giving up your desire and like navigating someone else's like you know like pleasing someone else or like manipulating yourself for someone else and and then here we see a character who's just like it's not even like she didn't give up her desire she's just like I don't even I don't even know where those questions are I just know I want to control my husband you know so she's like very shrill like there's like it's really difficult to watch her and to take her side in any way and I kept trying it was like you know I want to I want to like a sweater that you wear. I want to like 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 some of your accessories. Like just give me something and it was so hard. Yeah, I, I you know, and I think it's like an interesting um kind of character cuz you know, you brought up the miserable best friend from My Love from the Star and you know, we're set up in that narrative to not like her. Yeah. Right? We're set up immediately from the outset to be like, "Oh, this is like her frenemy and this is someone that is like in opposition to our lead character and we we understand that role and the idea of this person being the lead character and it's like you don't root for her you know and and I think that's why it feels like 
even more misogynistic, why it feels even more disappointing, you know, because you're trying to find something in there and you don't want to be someone that's just like, she's just, yeah, she's just like a nothing burger who um, is emotionally underdeveloped. And, and like, I think that's why it's like extra disappointing um, because yeah, I mean, as viewers, like we don't want to see this necessarily. And, but I also feel like because she's very real, you know? Yes. Right. Like it's, she isn't like the best friend is um, in my love from the star um, borders on caricature because she's kind of like so evil. And I think that in, in her unexceptionalism, this character is actually very real and very familiar. And that's also why it's like hard to take, you know, because I think there's actually more of her that exists in the world than not. Yeah. And I think maybe you're right in that, like, maybe this is so much, maybe this is a kind of realism and heteronormative romance where like one person does all their all the emotional labor. I mean, it's probably a very aggressively heterosexual narrative, you know, and that's yeah. also why it's and like, so, yeah, you're like, I guess it's the da- dude, and we're excited because we usually don't see this much emotional labor happening from dudes um, in representation or otherwise. But, uh, you know, like it's actually really painful to see just so much output from one person and almost like pure gaslighting from the other right (laughs) like but like then you're like i guess this is how maybe a lot of these you know formations occur which is just like then so depressing and then you're like 12 episodes in and you're hoping that someone has a cute jacket and you're just like i don't know like i guess he has a nice voice like (laughs) <laughs> what 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 am I doing? Um, but like you have to finish. You're like committed to finishing. Ugh. You gotta see it through. She doesn't um I mean, none of the relationships in her life though are very good, right? Like no. beyond even him, it's like she has these two friends, one who's even more of a nothing burger than her. Like, oh she has like a piano, a piano lesson shop or whatever um who has some truly she wears some truly devastating uh sweaters and cardigans she doesn't look good i mean none of them look good um and then she has that other friend who's basically her enemy who's so terrible treats her like really terribly is incredibly jealous of her and i think that that character is so awful that you can see a lot about like probably how that relationship formed uh, her understanding of how to like yeah. navigate relationships, right? Like that kind of abusive friendship that she has with this um, this other woman who uh, is married to the serial killer. <laughs> to give you a real vibe of that person, um, but like I think that you know the fact that she's even still friends with this woman is like already like I don't really understand. Yeah, she's like, not just friends with her; she like goes over and like helps her dry the dishes like 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 works for her yeah and like unpaid unpaid but like we it's actually very unclear 
No, no, no. It is clarified that like her, like someone is basically just like giving her mom money and has been yeah. giving her mom money over like the entire duration of her life. But like the thing that I was going to say that maybe I then forgot. Oh, yeah. Like there's a moment where like he tells her like that basically, you know, he, she gets mad at him and then like she then decides that she's not mad at him. And then she decides that, like, she's mad at him because he's not trying to get back together with her. And then she's, like, then, like, upset that he is not. And then, like, just feels, like, mad again. And he's just, like, you're going through all of, like, all of it. All of it. Like, you're, like, having a fight not with me but with yourself, essentially. Yeah, he so calls her a burden. Yeah. He's, like, you get mad. You don't even see it through. You then get upset and then you like, you won't even like, it's like there's another person in this fight and like that person doesn't even get to react because she's just doing all, she's like taking on both positions and like four pointing the entire situation and then she's like, she exhausts herself. Like, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's actually a really interesting way to put it because it's like, who is she even fighting with? Like, it seems like then she's just fighting with herself. She's like fighting her desire to like control this person I mean, I use the word desire, but, like, I don't really know what it is. Um, and then, like, he's not really in the fight, right? Because, like, she just had chess moves that he, she wanted him to play, and then she's just upset that he didn't play them, like, accordingly. Yeah. I think that scene where he kind of confronts her about that, um, I think he's like, he's like, are you kidding me with this right now? Like, he's like, do you know all the heavy lifting I'm doing? He's like, you're such a burden, like... You're sitting here having a fight with yourself. And, like, he's like, do you know what I've been doing? I've, like, been witnessing our deaths. I've been, like, trying to change all this, trying to piece together this. Like, he's like, I'm working so hard so that we have a future together. And you're, like, sitting at home by yourself for, like, two hours and then basically unraveling the entire time. And he's like, you're such a burden. Like, I can't even deal with this right now. Like, I've already got too much shit. And it's, I think it's one of the moments where he actually sets a kind of boundary. Like, no. Like, Oh, she's like Miss No Boundaries. She's like, what's a boundary? (laughs) Like, what's that? Don't abandon. And you know, like, usually if like a guy were to tell a woman you're a burden in any other context, (laughs) I would be like, what a, what a fucker. Like, this person's yeah. horrible. And in this context, I was like, oh, God, she's such a burden. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's really like, you know, we don't want to have to feel this way. We don't want this. But it was true. It was really true. Because, like, you watched it. And, like, again, he did not communicate those things. Um, but, like, you know, he's holding in a lot of knowledge and information about a lot of crazy shit. And he hasn't communicated with her that these are things that he's seen, which you could probably make arguments on both sides of whether he should be sharing these things with her or not. Like, sure. If in an ideal situation, he could be open and communicative with her, but she's also kind of incapable of it. So he probably also knows that he can't but tell her this kind of stuff. The bigger thing is, is that like, you know, this fight, like when she gets mad at him, she's like, like part of the fight is like, she doesn't want him to time travel. And she just basically says like, I don't want you to time travel. Ultimatum. Yeah, she's like, you can be married to me or you can, like, be with me or you can time travel. The reason I don't want you to time travel is because I don't want to see you disappear in front of me. Which, like, doesn't make any sense because she only witnessed that because she, like, tried to time travel too. 
Well, and she says that he's cheating on her with her future self. <laughs> yeah, she basically like just has like a panic attack and she's like, don't do this, ultimatum. And then, so they have a fight, right? Like this is supposed to be a fight. And then like within like the two days of this fight, she just like takes on like multiple different positions where she's like, okay, never mind. Let's get back together. And then she's like, you don't want to get back together? Like, and then she like freaks out about that. And then you're just like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. It's only been 20 minutes of this and I'm like tired. And so when he says like, you're a burden, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, like that's a nice way to put it, you know, like. You know what makes her feel better though about the time travel? When he's like, should I get you stuff? <laughs> he like, buys her nice clothes. He gets her dumplings from the future. He like gets her a new camera. And suddenly she's like, well, this is not so bad. Okay, I'm kind of into this. Yeah, so then like the, proving that like her original fight was not even, it was like just, what was it really about? You know, like. It's, it's really unclear what it was about. So, like, if you want to critique him for being, like, if one could critique him for being, like, yeah, like, why are you withholding this knowledge? Why do you think you're doing all of this work? Blah, 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 blah. It's, like, but nevertheless, it's a fight. It's a disagreement. Like, like all relationships have disagreements. So, you know, like, let's see it through. But, like, within, like, the 20 minutes of, like, the two-day fight that they're in, you just see, like, somebody who's, like, spiraling, taking on multiple positions, freaking out that the other person hasn't taken one of the positions. It's, like, actually, the whole nature of a disagreement is, like, the other person responds. And his position is, like, you, I can't, I don't even have the opportunity, the chance to respond to your ultimatum. So you've taken all of the sides. You've, like, exhausted all of the positions. So, like, I don't even get a position. Which is, like, such a fair point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which just adds to his loneliness, I think, of having to navigate, like, yeah, their lives on his own, effectively. Which then brings us to this, perhaps, like, last point, which is, like, we don't really believe they're in love. We don't even know. <laughs> we don't even know what we watched, actually. Like, I do not believe that this is some... This is not a love story you time travel for. I don't even know what this is. It is not the love of a lifetime, which was, I think, it would have been a very different kind of show if we felt like she was, she was a love that was worth transforming your entire life for. Yeah, the entire time I was like, who does he like? Like, what's happening? Like, he's doing all this work. And it actually makes him more lovable because she's so unlovable that you're just like, wow, you're trying real hard for this, like, this person who's just, like, just can't get it together, ever. We should also point out, spoiler alert, the mentor, older time-traveling man that directed him onto this path to be with this woman and whatever, marry, have a baby, do all these things to change his fate, um is actually her father yeah. <laughs> that abandoned her. Uh, so there's a whole twist there. Um, and you're kind of just like, this is Machiavellian kind of craziness. Like, I'm like, you, I'm like, did you like change his life or did you ruin it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just put that out there. It's just a little nugget to think about. 
Oh God, yeah, because I mean, you're you're you become really impressed with him for trying so hard for this like totally chaotic, in an uninteresting way, relationship with this unexceptional woman. You know, like yeah. you're just like, wow, there's a lot of effort you're putting into this. Impressive. I mean, maybe this is a real unexceptional fantasy, though. <gasps> you know, right? That if you are like an unexceptional person and you have this exceptional time traveler that will like go to the ends of the earth for your love. <laughs> for your ramen desires and your dumpling desires. <laughs> Not for your fashion desires, because yeah. you look terrible. <laughs> yeah, all the clothes from the future are not, are not, are not helping. He looks great. He looks great for the most part, um, but she looks terrible <laughs> through the entire series. And we just want to preface this once again and say that this was written by a woman, and we very much like the mermaid in Legend of the Blue Sea. Yes. And we, and we like, you know, despite being a neoliberal capitalist, we also really liked the woman from Crash Landing. Yeah, totally. In general, you know, I'm, I feel like if this is a rare, this is, this was like a rare, really rare show where it was almost written and produced in a way where like you could only like the guy, which is yeah. like a really interesting way to sort of think about you like the the whole production of all of this what is actually being fantasized what's being made what's being called attention to um because mm-hmm. this is pretty rare like i don't even listen to music where there are men singing <laughs> like a like a island of the lesbos in terms of my consumption like so so there the entire like me watching this i was just like wow like i'm having like a really like i'm trying to really understand all of the emotions i'm feeling and and yeah, I don't it got know. it got really confusing because i think as we do you know you start watching the series and you're like we hone in on the female character and I think that's why for like the first few episodes, I was like, I don't know where this is going. I don't think this is very good because I was focusing a lot on her and how much she's just like so unappealing. And then as it goes on and you're like, well, he's kind of great. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I see. It isn't about her. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So then to say, as we um, slowly wrap up, that we don't know what secondary market links to post. Maybe for his clothes. He wears a lot of, um, like, Louis Vuitton and YSL and, like, Valentino coats or something. She, I don't even know where her clothes come from. They're just, like, denim rompers. There's, like, so much denim in forms that you are not interested in like the midi denim skirt that nobody wants the like denim suspender midi skirt combo is not a thing that anyone's interested these are all separate items by the way i'm not describing one item 
I was going to say something about like maybe we could post links to like short readings on middle class feminism or like white feminism or something like critiques of, you know, not like advocating for. Um, but like we don't really want to assign reading right now. So we'll probably just try to figure out some trench coats to link you to. Yeah, I'll find some like cute, you know, LV knockoff backpacks maybe. <laughs> And the dumplings did look great. Like, the future dumplings looked great, but we also don't... I don't know if that was... Did you Google that ramen, that famous ramen? Is it actually... Oh, yes. We will We will look through the interwebs and figure out if this is an actual ramen. And if it is, maybe we will link to, like, an eBay page that has, like, a <laughs> bunch of them, you know. And the future was supposed to be 2019. Um, yeah. So this is, like, the past. So maybe we'll find some expired ramen for you. (laughs) We should set up the Roomba might also be the best character on the show. It ate his wedding ring. It was sending him a message. I know. Did he ever even get it back? I feel like it's unclear. We never see that. Um, But then also... Our next episode, which should come out kind of, be, we, we're hoping to post them the, the 11 and 12 back to back, but will be our first and hopefully will, there will be a surprise for you in episode 12. Should we say something about it or should we just like leave it a surprise? <laughs> yes. Basically, we're trying real hard. <laughs> As we've said before... This podcast is the love of our lives. (laughs) It's the love of our lives. It's the crumb in our devastated, like, universe. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Which we'll talk about in a few episodes from now with Buffy and the Hellmouth. (laughs) (laughs) But we hope you're all well. Thank you for listening from Reno, from yes. Brazil, Brazil, from Vietnam, Bhutan. <laughs> we too hope that we hope that you found us because you liked these dramas and you were very interested in abolishing capitalism, colonialism, the global order, etc. Patriarchy. Patriarchy. Anti-blackness, white supremacy, all of it. All of it has to go. And, as we've learned today, middle-class white feminism. (laughs) Middle-class white feminism. It's infectious. It just spreads everywhere like wildflower. Yeah. Wildfire, not flower. Wildflower sounds really nice. And... (laughs) I don't know if that's a word that I would use to pair with middle class white feminism. But we really like talking about this. So we will do a part two where we do a little bit more detailed work um, around the characters and then the notion of fortune telling versus fortune making. And the question of like, what is it about our relationship with the future? Um, everything from horoscopes and beyond. Yes, it's very exciting. Can't wait. Can't wait. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.